0: closed doors. This is Beer and Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Jason, what movie are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk about *The Seventh Victim*. 1943 release. RKO Studios. Val Luton production. Michael, what are we going to be drinking? <laughs> let me discuss this movie. <laughs> what we're going to be drinking is beer,
1: Brewery Bow Creeks. It's a Belgian gold nail. Obviously, Brewery Sturken's is from Belgium. The light, fruity smell. It's such a lovely beer. It's sweet with a little dryness at the end. The color of it, it's almost honey. I love this beer. It's a it's a very easy drinking tasty beer. You, we were talking about it, sitting in a beer garden, the big plate of like smoked cured meats and pickled vegetables. and You just spend a day with this beer. It's gorgeous. The bottle, it looks
0: handcrafted.
1: All of their stuff comes in the, with the ceramic bottle, the ceramic cap that you can seal it up. Although my experience has been when I open one of these bottles, I'm not sealing it up. I usually <laughs> empty the bottle, but you could reuse it. Uh, I had a number of their bottles in a cabinet because I thought I'd reuse them, and I never did. Um, they're just—it's—it's it's a little touch of, of class, absolutely. But what's always important to me is what's in the bottle, and I—and <laughs> I think it's great. What do you like
0: it? I do. It's fruity. It's light for a—I think we could agree—a depressing movie. A wow. little ray of sunshine. You said depressing. <laughs> Such a
1: spot-on word for this movie. It is depressing. I said, it's called The Seventh Victim.
0: I feel like we might be the eighth and ninth victims. I think the basic plot is a younger sister, her older sister, disappears in New York. She takes it upon herself to go and find her sister, who has been running in circles with a satanic cult. Yes. She collected sort of her three wise men as doctor, a lawyer, and a poet. It sounds like a Dylan song, you know? (laughs) It ends on a suicide. That's why I said it's depressing. We don't really have a lot of time stamps in this movie, so it feels like this happened over a weekend. Clearly, there was some points that Val Luton, as a producer, was trying to make. A lot of literary allusions. It starts with a quote from John Donne. It ends with the same quote from John Donne. The restaurant's called Dante's. There's a poem you hear in the background by Oliver Oliver Wendell Holmes. Layers and layers. So much, the movie's kind of choppy. It's a mess. Around an hour and ten minutes. And
1: I've never watched a longer hour and 10 minute movie. The pacing of it, it was just slow. It was like running through oatmeal. I think he was being very high minded. You tell me you're making a noir horror movie. I'm going to go awesome. I cannot wait. That's, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're putting together two things I really, really, really enjoy. And it turns out to be like nuts and gum together. <laughs> it didn't pull me in enough to make me go, I'm going to try
0: to get all the layers. As a B movie. It was made by RKO Studios. Although they were a big five during that time, they a lot of their money came from B-movies. We've said it before, we'll say it again. RKO almost automatically means B-movie. Small budget. Yeah. An hour and ten minutes, as Michael has said. It was a genre movie, kind of, as we've discussed. So it fits the golden age B-movie definition. I just always have to tell myself, B doesn't mean bad. The weakest satanic cult <laughs> ever... Did you see any pentagrams, goat heads, horns, robes? Did we see any of that? Nothing. They couldn't even be bothered to chat. <laughs> even their symbol was the parallelogram <laughs> with a triangle inside. Yes. And, and I tried to figure out why that symbol. And I don't know if on the set they're like, we just need a satanic symbol. Let's not use a pentagram. That yeah. might be too obvious. On the nose. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> They're
1: called Pilatus Yes. There's the one-armed lady. Never explained. Not that I
0: necessarily need it to be explained, but... Why? I Yeah. A, clearly a choice because that actress is not one-armed. <laughs> her, her name is Natalie Cortez. And I believe the cults meet at her house on a regular basis. She has soirees. And
1: they never explain it. And we know... That one of the devil worshippers didn't cut that arm off because they're non-violent. This is a big thing with these particular devil worshippers. And apparently they say it's sort of a trick that the devil play where he's like, oh, you can't be violent. Which sort of sounds like something the devil would do because yeah. he's a trickster.
0: Exactly. But
1: it's just hilarious because when you cross these people, <laughs> the way they deal with you is they try to browbeat you into <laughs> killing yourself. <laughs> And apparently it's work. If you cross them, Jason, they're going to get you. Then they're not going to be violent. They're going to sit you down put a cup of poison in front of you.
0: They clearly have this rule that, number one, they're nonviolent. Number two, if you should ever betray them, that person who betrays them must be killed. Six people have paradox. betrayed. Yes. <laughs> a, if you betray us, you must die. Well, however, we can't kill you. And historically, six people prior to Jacqueline Gibson have betrayed this cult. So? She's the seventh victim. <laughs> the opening scene, it's a quote from John Donne. I run to death, and death meets me as fast. And all my pleasures are like yesterday. And I just want to point out that they said the holy sonnet number seven... I think Seven plays Michael we've discussed this. Seven is slowly weaved into this movie. That's actually Holy Sonnet number one. Very depressing.
1: Oh my goodness. At that point, I wanted to hang myself. (laughs) It really was. Hey, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Watch me kick puppies. Yeah. It's not going to be fun. No. Mary's at a school, kind of a schmancy school, and the headmistress calls her in says, Hey, have you heard from your sister? She says, No, her sister has some money because she owns a business. We find out it was a perfume business. Cosmetics, cosmetics company. She said, Hey, your sister hasn't paid your tuition in six months. So that's a problem.
0: The headmistress says, Mary, since your sister hasn't paid, actually you could be an employee here, but you can no longer be a student. So let's point out to that Mary at least is between 17 and 18. Mary says, I need to go and find my sister. They front her the money. The assistant walks with Mary out into the the hallway and says, Don't come back. Life requires courage. So at that point, I'm like, is this... A movie about Mary having a journey where she's going to mature. At one point the movie, that's what it is, but then it kind of that no, fizzles out. <laughs> we're gonna we started that way, we're gonna zig back. And I
1: really like the headmistress's assistance. We learn more about her. Yeah. She just in that moment, because yeah. she says, When I was young, I was a student here, my parents were were killed. Yeah. And I left, but I didn't have the courage. I came back. You shouldn't. We learn more about that woman who we never see again. Then we learn about the one-armed lady Yes, <laughs> they just keep flaunting in front of us and I keep waiting yeah. to hear, you know, <laughs> like she sort of betrayed us and we made her chop her own
0: arm. <laughs> All these symbols in this early scene about searching and having wisdom besides that assistant telling her like, don't come back here, have courage. In the background, the kids are conjugating a French verb, which means to search. And then in the background, there's also a, a very famous poem by Oliver Wendell Holmes called The Chamber Chamber Nautilus. He made these choices for a reason. And I'm like, that's a lot to do for a cheap movie. I have to tip my <laughs> cap
1: to the amount of research you did into this stuff. When Mary gets to New York, she's looking for her sister. She goes to her sister's business.
0: La sagresse. My French is very poor. I never took it. I want to point out that term means wisdom.
1: Finds out Miss Reddy, who is running the business now. Miss
0: Reddy says, oh, your sister sold me. I bought the business from her. She's lying. Jacqueline is being kept inside the cosmetic company. As she's leaving, she runs across another person that was friends with Jacqueline. Francis who later on we also realize is part of the cult. And she was so nice. She was so nice to Mary. Yeah, she's like, oh, your sister talked about all the time. And I saw your sister a week ago at this restaurant called Dante's. So within a week, my assumption is the cult captured Mary and had her put in this locked room in the Cosmetics Company. That's what I was able to put together in terms of a timeline. So she goes to the next place at Francis Recommend, the Dante restaurant. Once again... A literary illusion. He talks to the owner, this very funny Italian couple. Oh, of course. I was funny Italian couple. <laughs> and she's like, you have to remember my sister. She was just here. <laughs> she was just here. I almost feel like that was done on purpose. <laughs> exactly. She was just here a week ago. And you would recognize her. She's tall and the most beautiful person you've ever seen. And then the woman says, oh, you're right. <laughs> she rents a room for us. It's upstairs, room number seven. <laughs> if she was such a good good sister, she forgot to pay Mary's tuition, but she still pays a monthly rent, which we come to find out is her suicide room.
1: Yeah, it's a room, it's, it's furnished with, <laughs> with
0: a chair with a noose hanging above it. Mary is a very different woman character that you, you typically don't see in these movies, because she is... Demanding, she says, Please do it. And finally, all the men at the beginning part of this movie, you, like I said, it looks like a journey for her because she begs, is like, Please open the room. And finally, the chef, he goes, I'll open the room. I've always wanted to see what was inside it, anyways. And they open the room, and it's that chair and the new stoley <laughs> thing. That's it. And it's right when you
1: open the door. You yeah. open the door, and it's just framed right there. So <laughs> Not off to the side. It's like, over there in the corner. It's like, I want whoever opens this door to see me hanging from my noose. She calls the police. The policeman comes and is offering her no help. He just keeps saying, you need to go to the missing persons bureau. Isn't that the police? Because this cop is almost, he's just like, go to the missing persons bureau. I can't help. It's like, what good are you? Isn't that kind of what you're supposed to do I just you're, found that funny. No, it... This gonna, cop was almost just berating her about, go to the missing persons. That's well, not my job.
0: At first, when you hear him speak, transitions, you know, don't see the cop at first. And you're assuming <laughs> someone just telling you, like, you should go to the police. And then it shows up, and it's the police <laughs> yeah, telling her this. Exactly. <laughs> like, I can't be yeah, bothered by this, this job. This poor,
1: this poor beat cop. <laughs> she goes to the missing persons bureau. Apparently, there are all these private investigators hang out at the missing persons bureau. Yeah. Irving August. It looks like a little kind of rat. You know, yes. he's kind of got that little rat looked to him, approaches, says, hey, I can help you. It's going to cost this. And she said, I don't have it. And he goes, well, I can't help you. So she leaves. Then this Mr. Radu, <laughs> another private investigator, comes up, sort of warns August, you stay away from this. All that does is make August go, oh, I got to figure out what's up. You know, she goes looking at the morgue.
0: And the morgue has the sign outside, he calleth all his children by their name. <laughs> It sounds very much like something you'd find in the Bible. Like something in scripture. No, I have no idea where it comes from. And that scene, and Michael, you mentioned, it's hard to determine the timing of this. It's at night. Yeah. She walks out. There's a menacing music. It's dark. She goes to a maritime lawyer's office. Yes, what was it? Fortescue, Holloway, and Ward. Admiralty <laughs> lawyers. She shows up and she passes out.
1: And when she wakes up, She's with Hugh Beaumont, Gregory Ward, right from the get go. He's like, well, we, we really, I really know you, Mary. Yeah. <laughs> it's really creepy. It's like, he is. you know, he's very, there's something a little oily about him. He's, he's trying to be so nice. But yeah. I really know you. It's like, you're, you're a stranger to this woman. She just passed out. She wakes up and you're being creepy and then he, that's when he starts talking about his her sister and she's a liar, you know. But again, not in a bad way. Not like, yeah, she's a liar. It's like, ha, 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 I don't even think she knows what the truth is. <laughs> and he says it all like smooth, like it's all right. I would not be that thrilled to find, you know, if that, if that was the thing you took away from your, your significant other is, ha, ha, I just don't think Jason knows what the truth is. That's bad foundation. It's a house built on sand, and that is from the Bible.
0: (laughs) Michael, he has the opportunity to actually tell the truth here, that he's married to Jacqueline, but he he doesn't use this opportunity to tell Mary, who is his sister-in-law, that I'm married to your sister. And isn't it odd also that Jacqueline would have never told her only other living relative, because Mary mentions like, Jacqueline myself, that's all the relatives I ever needed, that she got married to this man? It is very
1: strange, but when you meet Jacqueline, she doesn't really say much. She kind of seems like a blank slate. They don't try to develop that character very much, except, you know, hey, she keeps a noose in the room. He explains it in the most slapdash, confusing way. Her sister felt that life isn't worth living unless it can be ended, so she kept this basically a suicide room, which is dumb. (laughs) <laughs> to go spending, let's be honest, you can jump off a building. You you, know, you don't need to rent a room and make a noose and have a chair and all that. You don't need all that. It's just Val Luton being. I Weird. Guess, yeah, high minded or something. I don't get it. I guess in somebody's mind, they thought this is really symbolic. And I just think it's some, a symbolic
0: of a waste of money. At this point, after watching it multiple times, we're going back and watching this scene, Gregory Ward, he's not a good husband. <laughs> And he offers some very odd psychiatric advice. He says, oh, Mary, people who talk about suicide never commit suicide. <laughs> and he's proven wrong at the end. <laughs> it's hard for me to understand his objective in the movie. He doesn't seem to really love his wife. No one knows, except for him and Jacqueline and maybe Dr. Lewis Judd, that they're even married. And he doesn't seem... I can't find my wife. Maybe I should talk to her sister. He doesn't he didn't even contact Mary. The only thing we do realize is that he did hire Mr. Radu. But other than that, he doesn't seem alarmed. I mean, maybe he's just a very cool cucumber of a character. He doesn't come across as someone that you want to trust at this point. He seems shady, and if we look at these three acts, act one, he refers to Mary as a youngster. So he sees her as a child. Act two, they have lunch. And he mentions, I'm not going to treat you as a child anymore. I see you as a friend. And then act three, he says, I love you. Holy, <laughs> like... totally. don't look, don't look at me. I got to tell I really
1: love you, Mary. <laughs> How can you trust a guy? As, I, I think at the time they were looking for her sister, yeah. his wife. They're, they're still looking for her. But I kept thinking Hugh Beaumont was going to suddenly turn and go, ha ha, surprise, <laughs> I'm a
0: Satanist. <laughs> and that is one thing I have to give credit to is it had me guessing. Well, I'm gonna take a break and pour a little more of. This. Pronounce that Bow Creek, Bow Creeks. It's easier to pronounce than Palatis. Like, Such a lovely beer, how oh, it is. The, the the bottle, I just, I first, I thought it was a glass bottle, and I thought the content was this dark, muddy, muddied amber, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, like they spent time on this bottle. Like I said, sweet little malty. It's a dull, if
1: you're if you're a hop head, not really. A lot for you here, but don't let that deter you from trying it. Brewery Sturkins across the board—they've been brewing beer since the 1600s. They got it figured out. They're—it's—it's it's Belgium. They know what they're doing. They were—they were. They bre- should
0: have ran the Satanic cult. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man!
0: Irving <laughs> August
1: finds her and says, "Hey, I'm going to take your case. I've been doing some snooping. I've been posing as a health inspector. I went to the business." They want to let me into one room. So they go back in the middle of the night. Nicholas Murasaka.
0: The same cinematographer on Ida Lupino's Hitchhiker.
1: Yes, and he was he's a very famous noir cinematographer. So this is a pretty cool shot. It's a dark hallway. They go in and it's night. All the lights are out. One side has some light behind the windows. Pebbled glass. But then there's just a black hole. The end of the hallway is about as black as it can get. August goes down try to get into the room he comes back I mean he's obviously stumbling and Mary sees him and sort of doesn't pick up that something's wrong with him so she's she's talking to him and he's just stumbling along holding his chest which is how everybody walks then finally he falls down he's been stabbed we find out later these satanists had taken her sister Jacqueline put her in the room don't really explain too much. She said she was in there. It was dark. Someone came in. She stabbed. There was a scissors. They left- Maybe they were like, hey, kill yourself with, with the scissors.
0: scissors. <laughs> An odd weapon of choice, but she did point out you're these are, right. These are odd Satanists. <laughs>
1: they, they have poison around. Yeah. They have, yeah, but Why you leave it, her there just, with poison? Yeah, they're just like looking around like, uh, use the scissors. Kill yourself <laughs> with the scissors, I guess.
0: And Irving August dies. Mary leaves, and she gets on the subway. 14th Street, two times seven. <laughs> And she gets oh on Christ. and she's so scared. And she takes the, the subway to the end of the line and back. And then she sees three gentlemen who seem to have had a good night on the they town. They're in
1: their cups. Yes.
0: <laughs> and one has a top hat. <laughs> they sit across from her on the subway. And she realizes the one man in the middle who seems to be passed out drunk is actually the dead Irving August. She
1: gets up. They're giving her the little, you know, they're yeah. giving her a little shifty eye, like, hey, hey, like, you're gonna be next kind of deal.
0: And no one will help her, and when she finally gets the conductor's attention, those people are gone. That's when we introduce Dr. Lewis Judd, shows up to Fortescue, Holloway, and Ward <laughs> Admiralty lawyers office. Dr. Lewis Judd, I don't know if Val Luton was trying to make a his own Marvel cinematic universe because <laughs> That is the same doctor played by the same actor, Tom Conway, from his Cat People movie. Interesting. And my first impression is he's a dick <laughs> because he's a renowned psychiatrist who published. He publishes, I guess, what you would consider nowadays self help books because the receptionist says, Didn't you write the book on? Dipsomania, which I didn't look up. Apparently, a very old term for alcoholism. Yeah, and he is just the ass to her. And he's oh, like, oh, God. I prefer to write rather than help people with their problems anymore.
1: What I would think Dr. Phil might
0: be like <laughs> in, in real life, just you know. and he has this erudite patrician accent, uh, that very northeast. Oh God, he comes in and what does he ask? From Gregory Ward. I need a Benjamin. Yeah. <laughs> I, need, I need money. He says, I'm taking care of your wife. I'm taking care of her is putting me in financial constraints. I need a hundred dollars. And he's like, I'll oh, buy check. you a check. I need cash. Yeah,
1: exactly. He goes, I don't care around hundred bucks. He's like, what do you got? He goes, I got forty-five bucks. He's like, that'll do.
0: He's a <laughs> huckster.
1: I thought I was a Satanist for a while in the movie. It wasn't until like I think the second time that I really figured out, oh, he's not. <laughs> because it was confusing. I didn't think I could trust him. Mary was the only one throughout. She's not going to turn into a wacko Satanist. Ward says, I want to see my wife. Which is like the
0: closest we've seen to him caring about his wife. And he's like, I don't think that's a good idea right now. And then Ward immediately informed Dr. Judd, it's not just me. Her sister Mary's looking for her. Again, Mary, without even being there, got a man to do what she, she wants wanted. Him. Then he leaves and he goes to that kindergarten. And he, and he says, Mary, I'm Dr. Judd. I'm going to bring you to your sister.
1: They go to the room. Jacqueline's not there. She disappeared. It's what she does best, is disappear. She just yeah, like the Amelie thing, like knocks on the door, yeah. like, hee hee, and then disappears. Yes. <laughs> I kept thinking of that movie Amelie. It's like, I'm going to put a <laughs> spoon in my nose. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was like, this is her
1: Amelie moment. <laughs> They're at the restaurant, eating dinner, and the Italian lady is talking to Hogue, the poet, and he speaks like a poet. And she sees Ward and Mary and they're all like, they're not being happy and having fun. And she's, she says, why aren't they having fun like us? And first of all, I thought, I don't want you standing next to my table being loud. You know, I'm eating dinner. This is really weird because she, she forces the poet to go join them. And it's basically just a way to get him into the plot. All this symbolism and stuff, you couldn't think of a better way to introduce a character. So he joins in and he says, I'm going to find your sister. Well, well, well. That's when they go and they find the devil worshippers, who Dr. Judd is hanging out with. Yeah, it's... He's doing card
0: tricks, and that's when we meet the one-armed lady. You also realize that Jason and Dr. Judd have this past. If you go back and look, every time Jason showed up in the movie, he's made a statement. Like, he goes, oh, I'm familiar with the Bureau of Missing Persons, yeah. way back in. <laughs> and him and Judd have this odd conversation where he's like, I've been watching you because there was a woman that I used to see with you once... Twice. And then I never saw her again. Yeah. And you realize that Jason doesn't like Dr. Judd. And Dr. Judd gives him this backhanded compliment of like, you know, you used to be a great writer. I had respect for you. then.
1: Definitely <laughs> a little thing there. That there's a whole story. was seems more interesting than something like the relationship between Jacqueline and Mary. Because yeah.
0: as sisters, there's no warmth. If you're watching the first time, when Jason says, I'm going to find your sister, and all of a sudden there's a transition scene... And he's knocking on the door of Nally Cortez. You don't realize at this point in time, this is the satanic cult. After multiple watches, your question is, does everybody know this cult that lives in Greenwich Village? They have parties. People show up. Well, they're in a cult. But, you know, not bad people. Solid citizens.
1: <laughs> or, or they have like a regular party. And then when the squares leave, then it
0: becomes satanic. Like, before you continue, I just have to point out that when Jason Hogue says, I'm going to find your sister at that party. His main research avenue is like, I'm going to go to the library <laughs> and see what these cult members and Dr. Judd are reading.
1: Yes, and once again, I kept thinking Judd might be the, one I'm, of them, and I feel like in one version of this movie... He was. Exactly. Because he's hanging out with them. He's reading the same crap that they're reading.
0: Anyways, Jason went to the library and he hits on that library. That was was an oddly funny scene where he's like, you have some very nice hands for a librarian. (laughs) As a poet, I'm thinking of, couldn't he have said something more poetic? One of the best scenes in the movie, the shower scene.
1: It predates Psycho. And I I even read some things online that nobody ever found out if, if Hitchcock saw this or referenced it ever but they the cult wants to get rid of Mary and since they're non-violent they are nonviolent, and they can not kill her so they send Miss Reddy who just happens to come when Mary's taking a shower so Mary's in the shower we get a shot from inside the shower all of a sudden there's a shadow on the shower curtain it's Miss Reddy and she's telling Mary it's time for her to leave town Her sister is a murderer. And Mary, is. she's a little creeped out, but she doesn't scream or anything. She has a conversation with this woman who essentially broke into her home and found her in the shower and is telling her to beat beat it. From that point on, the the story doesn't become, hey, Miss Reddy's really creepy. Mary leaves and what she takes from this whole thing is, my sister's a murderer. So she actually is going to leave town. And at that point, everybody seems to accept Wow, Jacqueline's a murderer because that woman broke into the apartment and told Mary while she was showering.
0: But at the point of that scene, out of this whole movie with a satanic cult, that is the only scene, because of Miss Redding's hat, that shadow, that almost looks devil-like. It's the only point in the whole movie where I'm like, oh, that looks... Horrific. That looks like yes. the devil.
1: That was It was creepy. It I mean, was. It was creepy because of what was going on. It was creepy the way it was shot. Again, the, the cinematographer was the high point. I'm, I mean, no offense to Val Lutner and all the writers who buried all the symbolism <laughs> into this. You know, the cinematography is what I take away from this film. When the cult finally gets Jacqueline, as we've said, they're nonviolent. So they sit her at a table with glass poison in front of her and they say, drink the poison. She said no. They go. Well, i drink the poison. This is what they do. This is their big plan. Well, Francis is there, and she breaks down. Tells her, "You don't drink it." But it's very clear that it's they're not just friends. There's sort of a there's a lesbian subtext in their relationship. For the time was you're you just, you're not doing that. But to me, I picked up on that. There was much more than just a friendship going on there. I I'm not sure how I picked up on it because I was laughing hysterically. At this group of devil worshipers just going, come on, drink the poison. Drink the poison. Drink the poison. And Please. then, and at one point, she says, "I'm thirsty. I need some water." And someone just sort of pushes the poison a little closer Ms. to her. Ready, like, does it's like, <laughs> oh here, and you know, almost like this is water. It was kind of laughable. It reminded me of Monty Python. And <laughs> and what's great is that she finally leaves, and they kind of nod to a guy, and he follows her. And he's got a switchblade. He's going to stab her. So apparently they don't do violence themselves, but they're not above having someone else commit violence for them, which begs the question, why don't you just do that in the first place? You've got Ted over there with his switchblade. And why does she have one arm? (laughs) That's going to be the ongoing
0: question. Yeah. Oh, we finished the beer off, didn't we? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's a damn good beer. The Bow Creek. What's the percent of alcohol on this? 6-7.
1: Uh, it's a tasty beer. Kind of a chase scene of Jacqueline going down dark streets. Again, some very cool contrast, dark light. I love the, the couple in the alley. Yeah. She's running and she, she thinks, oh no, there's someone there. She looks and it's a man and a woman in an alley. And they're, you know, they're messing around. And they just kind of look at her. The guy gives her a look. <laughs> They're <laughs> like, what are you looking at? And so she keeps on moving. Then she stops, and in a doorway, very dark doorway, slowly the guy pokes his face out, very creepy. So she's running. The guy's following her. He's going to stab her. She goes to the back of a theater. The whole theater troupe is coming out. Which to me would go, oh boy, this is this is my break. So she says, hey, I need help. And one of the guys goes, you know, I can't, I can help you with beer. Beer and a sandwich. Beer and a sandwich. <laughs> So instead of going with them to Clear's Tavern, I think it was called, they're a safe haven. But she doesn't go with them for some reason. She peels off into the
0: darkness again. She heads towards her suicide room. And we're getting close to the end because as she's going up to room number seven, (laughs) you see Mimi... Her next-door neighbor there. Clearly, Clearly
1: sick. We've seen her a few times. She comes out. She's coughing. She's got t- TB or something. Yeah, you consumption know? or yes, something. exactly. Bad.
0: They have this odd conversation. Jacqueline is startled to see her. I'm thinking, well, she's had this room that she pays rent. Everybody else seems to know Mimi. Even Jason's like, hey, Mimi. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Everybody knows Mimi. This deep conversation for a movie that I don't know if it was trying to be so deep Where Mimi basically says, hey, I've been dying. I've been quiet and lonely and staying in this place this entire time. I don't want to die. And Jacqueline says, well, I've always wanted to die. And Mimi says, well, I'm afraid. And I'm tired of being afraid and waiting. So I'm going to go out tonight. And I'm going to laugh and dance and do all the things I used to. And Jacqueline says, and then? And Mimi says, well, I don't know. And Jacqueline says, then you will die. Judd and Jason, this other subplot about apparently Jason was in love with this girl. This girl took up with Judd. Judd finally realized, like, no, no, no. She was my patient. She's insane. Yes. I put her in asylum. And I never told you because I thought I'd protect you from that information. Basin says, oh, so we've always been friends. Now they're the dynamic dude. Yes. And they're going to go back to this cult. And they're going to... (laughs) Tell them their business. They they do. Because no one still knows where Jacqueline is. No one knows that Jacqueline's back at that suicide room. And what happens when they show up to discuss with that cult?
1: They're up on the upper level. So they're looking down on the cult. And the shot, you've pointed out many times, the lighting on the cult, they all look kind of sinister. It's the one time they look because these guys are, they're wieners. They're vanilla. They are just, (laughs) just a bunch of wieners. And the cult is, you know, saying, what's so great about you? What is this? And they said, they use the Lord's Prayer, our Father, and they use a quote from that and basically shame the devil worshippers, saying, wagging their finger, yeah. saying, you know, because forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And you guys don't have that in your life. And and they kind of, one, one guy even sort of hangs his head yes. in like shame. And I thought, oh my God, you're the worst cult of devil worshippers. <laughs> I almost got the feeling like they were going to turn a new leaf. With this little speech about the Lord's Prayer and how we're so much better than you, this cult of devil worship is going to re- dissolve because they—some of them did look like, yeah, he's right, we're okay. we're not good people. We
0: could now just become a bridge club.
1: We're, we're bad. Yes, we're bad people. And why does she have one arm? <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone gotten the one arm, why'd right? she
0: So, Judd. And Jason leave and they... Feeling good about themselves, they, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, they took on a cult. They're now friends again because they finally told each other the truth. They try. always were friends. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Jason just didn't know it. And then you sh- you go to Mary and Ward. They're waiting for Jason and Judd. Because they said, oh, back. hey, Mary's going to come back. And they're sitting there and that's when Ward finally says...
1: Don't look at me. Yeah, She's like standing in front of him <laughs> with her back to him. And she turns and he's like, don't, don't. Yeah. Don't look at me. I love you.
0: And that's their final scene. Everybody's waiting. They're expecting a good resolution of this journey that they all took on this mixed up. Which I will I will give them credit for. They, they end on a down note,
1: which is people always strive to not do that. And I th- always think it, it takes guts to say, hey, everything doesn't turn out rosy all the time. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Sometimes your husband is just going to meet your little sister and fall in love with her over
0: a weekend. Yeah, <laughs> The final scene is Mimi walking out of her room all dolled up. Dressed up. She's going up. She's going to have a good time. She's going to have a good time. Gets and to the
1: stairs. Thump. The very particular sound of like a chair tipping and somebody hitting an end of a noose. And she kind of looks over and sort of shakes her head and goes on with her night because yeah. she's going to go have fun.
0: And the movie's bookmarked with that quote from John Donne, I run to death and death meets me as fast and all my pleasures are like yesterday. So I finished that movie, Michael, but it took me multiple times to try to figure out what was going on in this movie. I may never watch it again. I mean,
1: I don't know. The straightest river has a bend at some point.
0: Because the first watch through this movie, I did not understand when it, when it got to the end. I'm like, wait a second.
1: I was confused. And, and I wasn't drinking at all. I just—I—I'm not kidding. I'm not even joking. I just sat down. I said, "I'm gonna watch the first time. I'm just gonna watch it. I'm not gonna do any note taking. I'm not gonna pause. Not gonna, just watch it like you watch a movie." And I wasn't—I wasn't drinking. I was, and I just—I got done, and I felt cross-eyed. I went. What the hell did I just watch? Did I, uh, I had the
0: same feeling like did I did, did I miss something?
1: Did I fall asleep? It just felt like they were just they randomly went through and said we're going to remove a section of the movie.
0: Well, this is a good point. If you watch this movie, try to count how many distinct scene, separate scene locations they did. They had an immense amount. And that's why when you point out this seems like a longer than an hour, ten minutes, they did scene after scene after scene, and always it kept shifting locations. It is hard to keep track. The characters
1: kind of, I think that was one of the things that really left me wanting from this movie. I didn't care what happened to Jacqueline. Never really got much from her. She didn't seem very nice. She just seemed self-absorbed. I mean, honestly, all she did was think about dying. Val Luton spent I think so much time trying to bury all this symbolism into the film the characters weren't very developed at all you know it's like well this guy's a poet who hasn't written in a while that's character development in this movie Hugh Beaumont's character is a low, <laughs> an admiralty yeah layer, but he's just a shallow he comes off as shallow yeah. person who's just whoever's in front of me I guess I'm gonna tell him, I'm gonna, I love you because yeah. you know, my my wife is part <laughs> my of a is sa- gone. satanic cult that can't kill people. Talking about it right now made me more interested. But overall, unless you have to see all of uh, Nicholas Mirosaka's movies, this is a tough one to recommend.
0: If you're in university right now and you want to see a movie that's trying to use a lot of literary illusions that was made in the 40s, chalk this up for yourself. Because yeah. I tried to make sense of... All these quotes from John Donne. Dante basically being named after the poet Dante and talking about Dante's Inferno. I just want to point out, room number seven. I have to say this (laughs) because Michael might have a discussion. The seventh circle? The seventh circle of hell in Dante's Inferno is where you go when you commit suicide.
1: But it was fun. Yeah, it was. It's always fun when you sit down and watch a movie and then sit here and drink beer and talk about it. I can say 100% Brewery Sturkin's Bow Creek's. I recommend that. Oh, drink! It's a fantastic
0: beer. Drink this if you're gonna, because this movie is depressing. You know, I think I liked it a little bit better than you, <laughs> but still, after watching it, I think he put way too much in a movie that was. I mean, it could have been very simple. Instead, just layers and layers of complexity, and I got lost the first time. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe that would be it. Like you
1: said, if you're if you're into literary references, <laughs> you know, if you want to solve a puzzle and yeah. like see how many. what does it all mean Cleary's Tavern's gotta mean something now that I think about it as a film as a story it is a mess yes it is such a mess why does she only have one arm (laughs) that was the thing that drove me nuts I just kept going no they didn't they don't they don't say she lost her arm in a car accident and I, I, that's what I'm still bugged about. Still, that's, that's... Why does that woman have one arm? There's a missing scene from this movie <laughs> that says Mrs. Cortez, was it? Yes. Mrs. Mrs. Cortez lost her arm on one of the old-timey bicycles.
0: All right, I think we should leave it there. Uh, I'm Jason. And I'm
1: Michael. Thank you. But if we titled our, our, our podcast episodes and why does she have one arm... <laughs>